Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football basketball and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host and men's basketball beat writer coming up tomorrow once again at Elliot Clough. Elliot Clough on Twitter. I got those switched around, but uh, Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. There we go. At Adam Jacoby underscore Jacoby and of course at Ross WB. Both of those guys joining me here right now. On this Monday edition of Hotcast, talk a little bit about the game this weekend in Wrigley Field. Iowa taking the ten to seven electrifying victory over Northwestern. Wow. Um, well, Adam, you and I got to sit in the press box at Wrigley. Got to go uh, into the bowels of Wrigley, so to speak, getting in the the press the post game presser in the uh, batting cage the visitors dugout kind of it was it was really cool experience i'll say that first of all secondly initial thoughts coming off the game you got to get the recap together for us this week um lots to take away in a very low scoring event yeah there there was a lot to take away from it one of the things that really jumped out at me was how much the hawkeye fan base showed up to that event I was expecting that to be a much hot event. And, you know, usually it is when it's at Ryan Field. I was not expecting it to be to the level that it was on Saturday. I mean, you guys were both there too. Conservatively, conservatively, that was 80% Iowa fans. And it's probably closer to 90 it was unbelievable how much they controlled the every, everything except for the AV of the game. The Hawkeye, like, that was the only noise you could hear that was going to be pro-Northwestern for the entire game. And, and bless them for trying, but that was a home game for Iowa. And I don't really know if the team wins that game, if it's even a 50-50 fan split. I, I really don't. Ross, you were in the thick of it, too. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the stadium, the 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 Wrigley experience in the stadium itself kind of, under, it wasn't as, you know, there were Iowa fans in Wrigley, but I don't know how much you guys got to see outside of Wrigley, like in Wrigleyville and, and the bars and every, the restaurants and on the L and everything, but it was just complete iowa everywhere like the l was just full of iowa fans uh the wrigleyville bars were just 99.9 percent iowa fans like once i once you got in the stadium there were some northwestern fans like oh that's where they are but it was still like adam said you know it was it was 80 20 iowa uh in inside rickley and i agree with with adam that you know this was a, a very close uh precarious game especially in the second half and, uh, you know, having that very vocal, uh, very, you know, pro-Iowa support there, you know, I think this team uh, definitely fed off that. And that was huge. One, um, one stat that I heard uh, secondhand uh, from, from the Nisei Lounge in Wrigleyville, uh, one of the bartenders was keeping track of how many people showed up in purple like trying to figure out how many northwestern fans were ever just even going to walk into the building 17 that was it <laughs> that if i'm lying i'm dying and that really underscores how much this was an iowa event that just so happened to be branded by northwestern as the wildcat classic or or whatever <laughs> you know chicago's big 10 team it's it's never been starker that that's a brand statement and not like a factual statement than at Wrigleyville on Saturday. Like that all belonged to Iowa for everything except for the logo on the field and the flags flying around. That's it. Everything else was Iowa. Well, I mean, Chicago's Chicago's big 10 team was there on Saturday. It wasn't Northwestern though. (laughs) I had a buddy who was in the stands and he said that it was 95% Iowa fans as well. I know you were in the stands as well, Ross, but um, he's also not the brightest. So we'll give the, the edge to Ross here. <laughs> so uh, 
Yeah, it was absolutely wild. I mean, when Michael Wilbon went out and did the whatever the song is, the root, root, root for the and everybody yelled Hawkeyes. That was <laughs> when it was most evident to me. I mean, that and then also when Northwestern ran on the field and everybody heard boo. Yes. It was, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I, I knew it was going to be a large contingent of Iowa fans. But right when that happened, it was like it really clicked. As well, this is a home game. Lee Sean Williams said that post game that he really felt like it was a home game, um, and of course, that that really did take it over the edge, I suppose, in, in them getting the win. And and this is just such another reminder that the margin of error, like it is every week when Iowa plays, the margin of error with this team is so ridiculously thin. Tory Taylor doesn't have. A ridiculous game like he does typically every week he only averaged 39 yards a punt if i remember correctly on on saturday and it must have been wind i i'm not exactly sure you could see the way the ball moved in the air was different than it normally does but that paired with the way iowa's offense is continually inept and couldn't score when they're in northwestern territory three times in the first half that margin of error just i like you can't even show it. it it's it's thinner than this guys it's thinner than that that's uh, just another example a peak example against northwestern who granted 4 and 5 now under david braun and has kind of resurrected the program and in such a short amount of time considering how bad they were last year and he is the interim guy and and all those things but it's still northwestern Iowa was effectively at home. That should not have been a three-point game. Well, especially, you know, in the first half, the defense was practically, you know, to go a little baseball here, pitching a perfect game. You know, they had just completely dominated Northwestern in that half. They couldn't do anything. And yet it's still 0-0 at halftime because the offense, like you said, they had chances three times. Three times, I think they were inside the Northwestern 35, maybe. You know, there was... And, um, yeah, they had a uh, missed field goal interception, and then I think they ended up punting on the other one. And so that's, you know, the, the defense is just playing lights out. But, you know, again, they need help from the offense, uh, and the offense wasn't giving it to them in the, uh, in the first half. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that of those three possessions that ended up empty, one, like you said, they were all inside the Northwestern 35. The uh, interception came from the 26-yard line. Like, that was easily field goal range. But in all three instances, it was all preceded by a bad negative play for Deacon Hill. One of them was the strip sack and the recovery by Mason Richmond, who was the one that got beat. And if you're going to get beat, you might as well fall on the ball for your QB. <laughs> you're either doing that or buying him dinner. Uh, the, the second one was that screen pass over the middle that, again, I don't know why it's in Iowa's offense. Like, you can't just say no more screen passes, right? You can't just say that's not part of the playbook anymore. But has that worked at all this year has not it with, worked once not with deacon yeah not even close with deacon yep so that was on third down pushed iowa back four yards ended up result the doink by uh well, i almost call him keith duncan which is uh <laughs> his predecessor it's, it's closer to the truth than a lot of people understand uh by drew stevens led to that doink and then the last one was that interception right so that's three bad Deacon Hill plays that turned promising scoring position drives into zero points. And that could have been enough to make the case, even in Kirk Ferentz's mind, that this wasn't going to work. And yet, fourth quarter, tie game all of a sudden. You know, the seven points didn't quite end up holding up. <laughs> it looked like they might. And he goes and leads a game-winning drive makes the throw of his life when it mattered the most to a guy that again had every excuse to not be in that position at that moment 
this late in the season and they got it done. So a little bit of validation after what has been a really, you can't even call it a rough start, a rough majority of the game, <laughs> like a rough game really. But Deacon put his nose down, made it happen when it counts. You were doing a guy that put his nose down, made it happen when it counts. Something to be said for that. I want to talk about that play before we get to that. The I want to talk about the first half, especially that interception. Deacon has said, Deacon did say post game that he didn't place the ball well, which which he did not. And secondarily, why are you going to Nico Regani in a one on one man to man when? He looks to me like I'd have to go back and look, but he looked like the smaller guy in that matchup. One, two, a 50 50 ball to Nico Ragini. What? And three, I mean, if it's that tight, I mean, and with that ball placement, Deacon Hill has repeatedly shown, other than when it's like dire, dire that he is unwilling to throw the ball away. At least that's what it appears to me. He'd rather throw it into second or like double and triple coverage than throw a ball away, which is why he ranks first or has ranked up towards the top of of quarterbacks that have turnover-worthy plays in the country. He is so unbelievably lucky that that one ball that he tried to throw away wasn't picked and ran back for six. That was the yeah. luckiest play I've seen all season, more or less, for Iowa. Yeah, and if, if that if that goes Northwestern's way, there is absolutely game. no telling how the game unfolds from there because Iowa's not pressing on them with the same amount of we, we both know what you're going to have to do from here. So yeah, that was unbelievable luck, and uh, that was sort of the point where it looked like all right the case might be even made in Kirk's eyes that this is not going to happen because everything we know about Kirk Ferentz, right. And everything that he wants out of his quarterbacks, he said that the only QB that can get away with making those like turnover worthy plays was Ricky Stanzi. And, you know, Deacon Hill himself would be the first to tell you he's not on Ricky's level yet. So that was the point where I was saying this might be it. And if there were more viable options behind Deacon, that might have been it. Yeah. So the the fact that Deacon got to winning drive was, really felt almost as much a function of the fact that there wasn't really a viable option behind him. And we we we're not entirely certain who that number two is at this point, are we, Elliot? No, uh, Marco Linez getting the reps with the twos in this last game. We that's probably something we're going to ask or, or somebody's going to ask about tomorrow at, at the presser and to get an idea of who is the two and who is the three right now for quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you can't assume exactly what's going on. I mean, who knows? Joe Labus, he was dealing with an injury in the uh, offseason. So maybe that's why. Maybe it's reaggravated. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just the Joe Labus is not uh, is is not worthy of that number two spot, and which is just a bit of a surprise considering what he did in that bowl game, and considering the fact that it's not a bit of a surprise; it's a lot of a surprise considering that Marco Linez is a true freshman, and I can I mean I haven't seen him really play other than in that open practice that we got to attend. But he is not ready. He's a true freshman at Iowa, man. What would make you think that Marco Linez is ready to take uh, reps with the ones at this point? If he does and he succeeds, awesome. Great for him. I just don't see it at all yet. And if if Deacon, if excuse me, if Joe Labus is really, <laughs> to quote Chad Lystico, that bad, <laughs> like he said last week, um, then Iowa is in quite the spot in terms of their uh their quarterback who's who's under center and if Deacon Hill is your best option man that's pretty telling that was going to give Ross a little bit of <laughs> oh, 
Go for it, Ross. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I just didn't have anything else to disagree with there. I mean, it's we've all been watching Deacon for the last six weeks, and um, the struggles are very apparent. You know, like Adam said, the the plays at the end of the game were great, and I think it's it's excellent that he was able to do that. And you hope that that's something he can of. Um, I just don't know that one or two, you know, good plays is is enough of a foundation there. But you know, it's very apparent that the rest of the season, uh, these last three regular season games, and whatever happens after that, it's it's ride or die with Deacon Hill. So, um, you know, do we just gotta hope that you get more of the Deacon that feathered that pass into Caleb Brown, and much, 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 much less of the Deacon that tried to throw that pick six and somehow didn't. What, what I will point out is this, that <clears throat> one thing that Deacon didn't have to deal with in the Northwestern game was result. We saw him put together that, I mean, 65 yards passing for a game is, I'm, I'm not going to try to insult anybody. It's 10 for 15 for 65 yards. And one of the criticisms that Hill had gotten was his very, very, very low completion percentage. And so the Fed was able to bring that back up to, you know, two-thirds, 66%. Once guys were actually catching the ball, it sort of brings it back what Iowa got out of Joe Labus at the Music City Bowl at the end of the season. And and like it's not it it's it doesn't even resemble all Big Ten quarterback play or anything like that. But it does look closer to competent for Deacon Hill. It does look like growth. It does look like progress. Does it look like sufficient progress? Ooh. If the scoreboard didn't say Iowa 10, Northwestern 7 you know, you could really make the case that it's not sufficient progress, right? If the scoreboard said 21 to 10 Northwestern, it would be really, it, it would be hard to make the case that Deacon had done enough at that point, even though the only thing that's changed there is the fact that Northwestern was on the board that much as opposed to scoring one touchdown late in the game. So, you know, does anyone need to get more out of him? especially over the last three weeks? Yeah, absolutely. But at the very least, what we've seen is when the ball is actually getting caught, when it's on these receivers' hands, that one number, like the completion percentage, doesn't look as ugly as it used to. And that is, in and of itself, a sign of progress, right? Yeah. I I, I will say this game... Very, very, very easily could have been 14-7 Northwestern. We were talking about oh, how yeah. lucky that, that pick was. Very, I mean, he very well, we know what Deacon does when he's pressing. <laughs> he, he throws interceptions. Like that that last drive probably would have been a turnover if we're being if we're being real, uh, based on what we've seen. And honestly, like I'm caught between. That, so with that last drive, I'm caught between he did it. Good for him. That's a step in the right direction. And two, you're a, you're a B1 FBS quarterback. You should be able to make that throw to Caleb Brown. That we, We're giving him flowers for a 23-yard completion to Caleb Brown. That's, that's, that's where we're at. <laughs> you know? and, and I mean, I he, mean it, it, he was open. He was open. It wasn't like he was threading the needle. It was it was yeah. a little bit tough. Like he he had to put it over a defender. It it was it was not his like I've seen him miss easier throws than that. We saw him miss easier throws than that on Saturday. So the the fact that, you know, especially for a guy who has openly said you know, some of it is a matter of composure. Some of it is a matter of you know, not being too amped up to to put the ball where it needs to be. And, you know, 
the situation doesn't get a whole lot bigger than that tie game last minute of the fourth quarter. It was, it was a third down throw too. Right. As I recall, I don't, was it? I think it was a first down. Th- I just oh, had the well. play up because uh, there was that eight yard gain to uh, Ragini oh, okay. on that like quasi screen pass. And then it was two plays later yes. that he made that throw. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Then, then we'll take that aspect out of it. <laughs> Regardless <laughs> though, clutch, clutch throw. And he didn't let the moment get too big for him. So that in and of itself, you know, Elliot, a, a D1 quarterback should be able to complete that pass. Agreed. And, you know, target was open. Agreed. But those are bars that Deacon hasn't always cleared this year. And the fact that he did it when he had to, the team needed him to, is, you know, it does, it, it's not clear in the high bars at all. <laughs> but it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, we, we even heard after the game, Deacon Hill said, you know, our, our growth might not be fast enough for people outside our building, uh, which I think was code for every single fan and media member. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's only so much of that that is in his power to control, to improve. You know, it, it would be nice if he was throwing like Peyton Manning by the Illinois game. Uh, you know, that's it's an unrealistic standard of success at that point, especially for somebody like him, who is, again, like you, you, we say, you know, Marco uh, Linez, you know, he's he's only a true freshman. This is only Deacon Hill's first year in Iowa City, too, and only his second year in college football. Uh, well, no, he was getting right shirt third. Yes. But at a weird high school experience behind that too like doesn't have a whole lot more experience than marco linez like vanishingly little more than that so you know it is fair to say that deacon hill's play has not been up to par absolutely fair and and i think anybody in that quarterback room you know if the cameras aren't on would tell you the same thing but I think it's also, if we're going to keep it fair, we have to be fair about what the incremental progress should look like over the course of the season. It, it won't look good enough to make Iowa fans happy. Well, I think we can all agree on that. But if the Rutgers game looks better than the Northwestern game did, it's at the very least something. It's green shoots. It's not a tree. But it's a little leaf poking out of the dirt. And that might be about all that you can ask for out of this situation, which, again, like is not what the Iowa coaches had in mind when they put the roster together to begin this year. Not what they had in mind at all. And, you know, the fact that they're keeping it afloat to this extent, which – and and we've seen what that entails to – you know, things like scores and total scoring margin, that sick of stuff. But, you know, look, they're seven and two. They're it's it's a little nuts. I I will say, you know, in regards to the 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 late throw there from from Deacon and you know that situation, it was pretty striking. This happens, you know, two weeks after, you know, his last game, the Minnesota game where he and the Iowa offense were in an extremely similar position. You know, they needed to get, what, 20, 30 yards to have a field goal to win the game against Minnesota. Um, you know, there, there are some differences. They're coming off the just, you know, emotional letdown of the Cooper DeGene palm return touchdown that wasn't and, and everything. So there was, you know, not quite the same scenario there. But broadly similar situations. You know, we, we know what Deacon did against Minnesota. It was – disastrous and here you know he he gets the completion to Reggie and then he gets the completion to Caleb Brown and uh four plays later Drew Stevens is just drilling the game-winning field goal so you know that that does feel like a definite moment of progress for Deacon um you know from where he was even two weeks ago against Minnesota 
again, you know, the question is just how how effectively can he build on on that moment or you know the other small moments like the ten or fifteen completion percent. You know, what, what can he do with that over these next three games to elevate the Iowa offense to a position where, you know, the defense doesn't have to be so damn perfect for Iowa to be able to win a game, you know? Yeah, exactly. we, we, we talk about what happens to the margin for error, the way that this team is set up. There's a lot of error. But the offense just takes all of it. <laughs> the margin of error is only like small for the defense and the special teams. And you're absolutely right. This was a game that if I would, you know, just plays a haphazard game on defense, a, a mediocre game, you know, it's it's probably Northwestern winning this one, you know, their Wildcat classic. With <clears throat> talking about the offense. Two things we we have to address before we move on. Cooper DeGene, two offensive snaps. Secondarily, Caleb Brown caught a freaking ball. <laughs> Whoa. I tweeted both times, uh, the, both, uh, both of those scenarios, I tweeted in all caps and said, this is not a drill. Because <laughs> yeah. it's been two-thirds, of, three-fourths of the season at this rate. And Caleb Brown just catches his first pass. I mean, following what supposedly happened a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago to him finally getting a, a large portion of, of snaps this time around comparatively to what we've seen before, that's that's big and, and a step in the uh, right direction where we may actually see that start to continue. And also in regards to Cooper seeing the floor or seeing the floor, Seeing the field, I I think that is definitely a byproduct of Brian getting canned and him saying F it, you know. Maybe not, but that that's that's the way I that's the way I initially see it. Like, screw it, I'm out. Cooper, get some snaps. I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of that. I think it's also, you know, after the bye week, Iowa does sometimes like to throw in a few wrinkles you know, by Iowa standards. And um, <laughs> I think the Cooper stuff could have been a little bit of that. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you what, the fans were really excited to see Cooper on the field on offense. So, you know, that that definitely felt good. And if you're trying to buy a little bit of fan goodwill back, that doesn't hurt. And uh, the Caleb, I mean, you talk about guys that could use some confidence and hopefully – you know, flow that into bigger and better things. Uh, the, the receiving core is obviously looking for someone to stand out and, and make plays. If Caleb Brown can, you know, if this can jumpstart that, uh, Godspeed. Godspeed. One thing that also sort of needs to be mentioned, we, we mentioned the two snaps for Cooper DeGene. I believe that's two more than Caleb Johnson got. And that was a little bit of a surprise, especially because we saw Jazz Patterson getting a, a few carries there too. And there was one play, um, they, I, I, I don't know what they call it, but it's essentially a like a sprint off tackle. But it's it's definitely one where it's designed to get the running back full speed to before he hits that hole. And we've seen them use it to great effect with Caleb Johnson last year and this year. Ran it for Jazz Patterson, and he got tripped up by his ankles for three yards. But that was historically a big, big gainer for Caleb. And that was the moment where it's like, hey, wait a second. We haven't seen number two at all, have we? And we ended up not seeing him. So some questions have to be asked there because – for all of what you want to say about how the offensive personnel has been managed, and, you know, we did see more Caleb Brown. We did see Cooper DeGene. But none of that criticism of the offensive personnel involved too much Caleb Johnson, right? Like, you know, it's like, get that guy off the field. That's never happened. So I'm curious to see what the fact that he wasn't, 
in that mix on Saturday. Very curious to learn what that portends for the rest of the season. And, you know, we have to say it, and for beyond. Might mean nothing, might be something. The boot obviously wasn't mentioned on the injury report at all. Not question, not not out, right. not questionable. So that's of note. And I, I I did see him on the bike at one point in time, so it looked like he was warming up, and then didn't get in the game again as well. That was in the second half, I believe. And three more injuries on the offensive line: Mason Richmond out, Bo Stevens out. Logan Jones in a boot and in street clothes after the game. Bo Stevens, when you have to bring a, car- a cart out and you're not putting weight on it, not a good sign. We don't exactly know what's going with Mason Richmond. I'm assuming we're going to find out more again uh, about all those guys on Tuesday. One well, man, too. This... <laughs> Rusty Feth that's in, true. A, in a sling, too. That's, that's four offensive linemen in one week that <laughs> – we, we, we've talked all year that offensive line had been like the source of stability on offense. And now we don't even know what the last three weeks are going to look like across the board. We, we, we really don't know. So that's, you're right. That's, we're going to have to see what's coming out of that. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing with all, with the Caleb situation and the offensive line, uh, you know, we should have a depth chart for this week in, in a little bit. Right. So that, Maybe will give us a little bit of indication, but certainly something you guys will be asking about tomorrow for sure. So, yeah, uh, Rusty did come in after Bo got hurt. Rusty came back in later in the game, so I guess I didn't think of him for that reason. Sure, maybe a little more telling that it's not quite as bad. I, he he and I think I think Mason were considered questionable. I think I heard Weitzel say that at one point in time. Uh, he I think. Uh, Scott asked him about it, but that is (laughs) concerning when you've got an offensive line that already struggles that you lose that sort of depth. When you have Nick DeYoung playing left tackle, not ideal. He is one of the more flexible guys on that offensive line. You don't want him at anything other than guard. What was the Logan Jones injury? I don't know. Right he foot. was, yeah, he was wearing a a boot. I guess, yeah, we do know. Right foot. He was wearing a boot. Um, yeah, so. right, right lower extremity might be ankle. Uh, I I don't think we heard anything. Got it. More specific than boot. Right. I didn't hear anything on Mason Richmond either. Um. So uh, did you, Adam? No. Okay. Well. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll find out here sooner rather than later. You know, mentioned the thing uh, the uh, about the offense in terms of stability, well, being the offensive line. Well, now the only thing that has been relatively stable is the wide receiver room uh, in terms of offensive line and production, <laughs> or in terms of health and production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brutal, dude. Oh God. So it's just uh, a season where the injury bug has plagued this team every which way. Um, we'll see how it how it goes and what we find out later today and, of course, tomorrow with this team. Anything else you guys wanted to hit on uh, regarding this game and maybe outlook for, for the football squad going into uh, Rutgers this coming week? Of course, we'll have a preview pod for that on, on, on Thursday, but uh, regarding this game. To- yeah, I just was curious to see who you guys thought stood out on defense. I thought uh, Jay Higgs had a really good game, like he pretty much always does. Uh, but you know, from the press box, were there guys that were really, uh, you know, the, you know, jumping off the field for you? Yeah, I think number one has to be Jay Higgins. The stats were there. Was in the on that goal line stand. And, and, you know, he, he talked after the game about, Oh, you know, there was one play where I actually had them dialed to the wrong uh, tight end or, or something like that. Like he was calling attention to a um, pre-snap like call that he had missed. And then apparently Northwestern audibled it into the correct call, but he wanted to talk about him, like not 
doing the like lining things up perfectly. But if you watch that stand, he is the first one across that line. As soon as Northwestern snaps it, he's jamming his gap. He is like he is so active and instrumental in Iowa making those stops and will never take the credit for it. Uh, it just doesn't seem like the sort of guy he is. But watch it again and just look for number 34 because he is making plays. He's blowing things up, and he, there's just no getting past him. Also, a little bit of a shout-out to YA Black that I thought he is really, really coming into his own this season on the defensive line. He was primed for it, and Noah Shannon's whole situation has made it easier for him, or at the very least has meant more snaps for him. But at the beginning of the year, the defensive lineman that I thought was going to take the most advantage of, you know, sort of pared down rotation was Deontay Craig. I thought we were going to see, you know, eight, nine sacks out of Craig at this. But what we've really seen is back rising as a disruptor in the first three gaps within that technique just blowing things up moving that point of attack and and often to the extent that it turns into a sack that it disrupts the passing game that so i thought he looked fantastic against northwestern that the wildcats really really had difficulty blocking him keeping him blocked and he got rewarded with a sack which is great and he's been piling up those like you know big flashier stats over the last couple weeks but you just watch him snap to snap uh week to week he's continually moving that point of attack and that's exactly what Iowa needs on the defensive front well you mentioned the the point of attack and I'm glad you brought up the defense you know that goal line stand because we really you know have to talk about that you know, it I think it probably gets overlooked a little bit because they, you know, they went on and scored a touchdown like what three, four minutes later on the subsequent drive they had. Uh, but the that was still a yard drive. Yeah, yeah, twenty-two yard drive. But that was still a, just a phenomenal defensive sequence by by the Hawkeyes, uh, backed up to the half yard line essentially, and um, and just stuffing them four straight times uh, in between lots of. Uh, divot work and uh, maintenance work on the field. That was one of the more ridiculous things I've seen in a football game uh, in a while. So with, yeah. uh, with all of that said, I will redact 14, seven very easily could have been 14, seven very easily could have been 21, seven with that yeah. goal line stand. And who knows more when I mean, you talk about momentum <laughs> also, yeah, the divot the infamous divot, I've never seen anything like that. The amount of the, the amount of times that I've said that this season, the Cooper DeGene return, the divot. I've been I've watched a lot of football in my life. You guys have watched more, but I've never seen, let alone in back-to-back games, stuff like that happen. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened more. I mean, granted, most games are on turf fields now as opposed to natural grass, but that was crazy. I was thinking after they got it taken care of the first time, I, yep, that was crazy. We're moving on. <laughs> no, spoiler <laughs> alert, that did not happen. And we, uh, Adam and I went on the field after the game and checked it out. It was just sand. Yeah. It was just, they filled it with sand and packed it down as much as they could. And that was it. Was was that where third base should have been on on the baseball field or? It was it was certainly on the third base line. Like we were we were just looking straight down to the uh, um, to the foul pole. So yeah, that's that's part of it. The only other time, Elliot, that I've seen something like that was once again at a field that wasn't necessarily a football field or or a multi thing. It was I want to say it was Clemson and Ohio State, or it might have even been. Um, Michigan and Ohio State, but it was somebody at the goal line in a postseason game. I want to say about 2016, 17, 18, and it was either the Big Ten Championship, which probably shouldn't have been the case because that would normally be in Indianapolis. So I don't think it was at 
so it was either that or a um, college football playoff game. And I'm pretty sure it was an Ohio State game. But, yeah, that's the one other time that I've seen it all come up like that. And, and again, it's because, that's uh, you know, the sod is not really built for, you know, a scrum of that nature, you know, three tons of people just jamming into each other and, and you know, trying to drive block. Uh, but yes, Elliot, this has been on the whole, like just the moment you start to zoom out and try to take stock of all the weird, unusual, unpredictable, like you'd be crazy to have tried to predict any season. If if we had everything in our preseason, them down on, or on, you know, on in August would have been like, what's this? <laughs> this is this acid trip. This is not a uh, this is not a prediction. So, you know, it's it really just goes to show that as much as we can think that we know in July, in August, and as much as things can make sense. <laughs> Once the season starts, you're just hanging on for dear life and trying to rack up as many wins as you can, as as well as you can. And uh, it's pretty remarkable that with all of these things going wrong for this team, that we look up and they're three games away, essentially, from winning the division again. Let's while we're while we're all here, let's list out all the crazy things that have happened this year. Cooper DeGene. Cooper DeGene return, getting called back. The divot. All the freaking injuries. Luke Lachey, Eric All, uh, Caleb Johnson goes down for a little while. Jazz Patterson went down for a little while. Um, all the three. Cade McNamara? Cade McNamara, sorry. Yeah. I'm so caught up in Deacon Hill world, I totally forgot. Cade McNamara, four offensive linemen yesterday. Uh Help me out here. Any other injuries that are coming to mind right off? The, well, Caleb Brown being out for a little while and everybody going into hysterics about that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, the, the tight end room, even behind all in Lachey, yeah. hasn't been healthy either. I mean, we, yep. we saw Zach Ortworth, who came into the season, what, the fifth or sixth string tight end, but as a freshman, and he was out there who he had to throw a block on a fourth down play. Didn't work out great, uh, but that was it, it. Went from next man in to last man in at that point. So yeah, it's just everywhere you look on offense, injury, 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 injury. On defense, heck, the uh, the two backup cornerbacks yep. have been out for the middle meat of the season. And you know, for as much as we want to see Cooper DeGene take some snaps on offense. You know, we we've seen and, and Kirk Ferentz has mentioned during his postgame conferences, you see what happens when he goes out. And that's you sort of playing with fire there. So if when uh Hilson and uh Diaz Fernandez, if those two had to be taking snaps, uh or potentially John John Nestor. Or or Nestor, true freshman John Nestor. Yeah. That, that that could have been as ugly as, well, the Nebraska game to finish last season. Yeah, I mean, in terms of other weirdness, Elliot, um, you know, there's the Cooper touchdown return that wasn't. There was also the one against Michigan State that actually did count and was still, you know, an incredible and just bonkers way to essentially win a football game or end a football game. Uh, I mean, a- everything the Iowa offense does is weird in some way, almost, it feels like. <laughs> I mean, winning a game 10-7, like in 2023, like, come on, like, that's that's not normal. Um, Penn State beats them 31-0. Uh, that was probably the most normal thing on this weird list. Uh, considering <laughs> all of all of that, but uh, I, Brian Ferentz gets fired mid-season, but gets to stick around for the rest of the year. Uh, yes, possibly losing Kirk Ferentz, but then he goes ahead and releases a statement and goes on the radio show and says he's sticking around. Uh, the the Cade McNamara injury in the kids' day, not just like in practice, 
but we saw it. Everybody saw yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And ended up mirroring the uh, injury that took him out for the entire season, too. Exact yeah. same play. Yeah. Cruel foreshadowing. And right. all of the twists and turns that have come from the Noah Shannon situation, too. I mean, yep. that in and of itself is its own soap yeah. opera. And we still don't have resolution on it yet. It's November 6th. We still don't have resolution that, on it. That is, uh, it's coming this week, right? That was the last we heard? Allegedly. Right. Allegedly. It's supposed to. <laughs> it was supposed to come last week. So, right. um, there's that. And I, obviously, all the transfer portal Kirk, if we're going back to the offseason, going full in on the transfer portal. Uh, additionally, Dejon Parker supposed to come in and probably contribute. He's injured in his first practice in the spring. Like, yeah. <laughs> there was another thing I was going to mention that I cannot remember for the life of me. I think it was something going on in. Uh, oh, well, the whole betting situation in itself and seeing Arlen Bruce and go on and leave. And now he can't play. Um, Brody Brecht chooses baseball. Like probably for the best, but, but yeah, right, that's, right, that's right. another thing that you have to account for now. Yeah. And what I feel like I'm missing more like, Oh, Ontario Thompson well, I mean, gets hurt after blocking punts. And he had another block punt yesterday. We didn't even talk about that, that gift of a possession for the Iowa offense. Go ahead, Ross. Yeah. I mean that that's how they got the touchdown, right? I mean, yep. Thompson blocks the punt, sets them up with, with phenomenal field position. And then the offense is finally able to, uh, you know, get it in the end zone there, which they needed to do. Uh, yeah. He's just been, I can't, I don't remember a guy that could block kicks as well as him since like Broderick Benz and his insanely long oh, arms God. from like about 13 years ago or so. He was unbelievable, but Ontario Thompson, I mean, he does have long arms, but I don't recall them being like, you know, freakishly long, but he just has really good timing and technique. It seems like so he's been athletic, you know, phenomenal freak. on special teams. Yeah, yeah. And uh, special teams, you want to talk about, you know, just kind of crazy things. Tory Taylor. I mean, he had a bad game on Saturday. I think he'd be the first to say that. I'm sure, but what we've seen him do the rest of the year is just incredible. I mean, all the, the all the kicks he's down inside the 20, inside the 10, inside the five. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. Anything else? I feel yeah. like we've got to be missing something. <laughs> Probably. It's been a yeah. weird year for sure. I mean, the fact that Iowa went into Wisconsin and essentially rushed for three times as many yards against the Badgers than they did against Utah state. Right. That. Yeah is it's weird it doesn't track logically <laughs> that they would be able to do that and the and fact that i was offensive go ahead deacon hill is a wisconsin transfer goes back into yeah. madison and they win it's not like he played yeah. the game of his life i tweeted something about he transfers for the team that wouldn't like give him practice reps and leads iowa to win i knew it was a little hyperbolic he did not lead them <laughs> The victory. Yeah. He played quarterback when they won, but yeah. that's that's all he did in that game, uh, which was just another weird thing. And throw in Coach Butt, who is formerly from Wisconsin, was on their roster, was a GA, was an assistant quarterbacks coach there as well. Yeah, and whole jump around thing. I mean, the the day after Iowa wins at Camp Randall, there's a women's basketball game at the football stadium, and there's fifty five thousand people there too. Like, does that even crack the top five happen in the football season? You know, <laughs> does it? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's, it's been a wild season, to say the least. And uh, there's still plenty to go. Still plenty of basketball ahead as the women play their first non-exhibition game tonight men play their first non-exhibition game tomorrow against north dakota we got state football playoffs coming up 
for high school. We got the Rutgers game. The women play in Charlotte this week against Virginia Tech. It's going to be a loaded week for us at iowa.rivals.com. Speaking of which, before we wrap it up here, went and watched 2024 commit Preston Reese, who plays linebacker and quarterback for Monticello. Went and watched him this last Friday as they're headed to the Dome this coming week. Could be a potential matchup of Iowa commits in the 2A championship between Central Lion, George Little Rock, Reese Vanderzee, Graham Eben, and of course, Preston on the other side. That would be crazy. Would really be uh, intrigued and, and wanting to go see that game. Preston, four touchdowns on quarterback keepers and passed for the game-winning touchdown. They won 34-28 over Minneapolis. And Drew Miller, who was previously recruited by Iowa to play punter but never offered, ends up choosing Georgia after they offered him. I messaged you right after, the, after you guys after this happened on Slack. Talking about Tory Taylor. Drew Miller finished the season averaging 49.1 yards per punt as a high schooler. He had a 55-yard punt downed at the one. Wow. As a high school punter in Iowa. Yeah. Uh, Well, they've got, they've got, it looked like they've got two scholarships left and and we could talk about this on the premium board and, and uh, maybe not reveal too much here on hot cast, but I was impressed. I was impressed. Of course, they've probably got a contingency plan with somebody else from Australia, but we'll we'll see what happens and and who they go after to fill that role with with Tory Taylor moving on. But uh, like I said, a lot happening this week. We are working on a plan to get it all covered for you. And you can check out all of our coverage on iowa.rivals.com. If you're a premium subscriber, you get all the inside information from us. iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. If you are not a subscriber yet, and while you are here with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc., make sure that you do subscribe. If you're on YouTube, drop that like, drop a comment. If we missed anything weird or if you have anything to add about this season, let us know in the comments. Let us know what you're thinking about this game going against Rutgers in a couple weeks or if we, we missed anything uh, summarizing this Northwestern game from the week. Drop a comment and let us know. Of course, drop that like. Subscribe wherever you're at. Leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We know the majority of our podcast listeners listen there. You leave that rate and review, it'll help us out help us out a lot, and it'll make us very happy. So go do that, and that'll be it for us today. So for now, we'll see you next time.